Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. And this is our August Tidbits of Terror episode. Spency Spence, drop that hot track. Tidbits of Terror, Terror Tidbits, Tidbits of Terror, Terror Tidbits. As always, thank you, uh, Emmy Award winning actress, composer, director, Carrie Weeder for our <laughs> Tidbits of Terror theme song. Author, Pulitzer Prize winning. EGOT award winning. Nobel yeah. Prize winning. She does it all. <laughs> um, in this episode, Sharon takes us after hours. Ooh, baby. We also contemplate if the pumpkin spice craze has gone too far. We have some shutter news and more, but... First, Mindy is going to start us off with a great article that she wants to talk about. I will. Uh, Let's just get into some controversy, shall we? Let's do it. Uh, I say that only because uh, on July 31st, 2021, The Atlantic posted an article titled, Who Owns Amanda Knox? with the subhead, 14 years ago, I was wrongfully convicted of murdering my roommate. Ever since, the world has believed it can tell me who I really am. And yes, this article was written by Amanda Knox herself, who these days is a Seattle-based author of the book Waiting to be Heard, and is the co-host of the podcast Labyrinths. So I say, you know, controversy, let's get into it. Putting aside for a moment any personal feelings you may have about Amanda Knox, uh, we'll, of course, link to this article in the show notes. And for our Patreon subscribers, I'll actually post a PDF of the article as The Atlantic only lets you get so many free stories before they cut you off. But it's a damn good read. Um, The theme of this essay and really the main question Amanda's posing is... If I may paraphrase Mindy style, what the hell, Hollywood? Okay, maybe that's a little too blunt. Uh, but specifically, Knox talks about the new film, Stillwater, directed by Tom McCarthy and starring uh, Matt Damon and Abigail Breslin. This isn't the first film, and it won't be the last, but Amanda's point is that she's never really had control over her own narrative. Um, and That narrative has been exaggerated and falsely created by means outside of her own control. Um, Anybody remember the name of the woman that she was accused of killing in Italy, by the way? No, I don't remember at all, (laughs) to be honest. That's a very fair question, by the way, because, yeah, you would think that the victims would get uh, as much recognition as she did. Yeah, let's put a pin in that, Sharon. That's a great point. Because um, most people don't remember her name. They just remember the scheming Foxy Noxy, as Amanda literally has been known to be called. Um, and that alone has stolen the spotlight. Well, really like what you said, Sharon, from the real matter at hand, an innocent woman who was brutally murdered 
another was demonized, and that narrative continues to be used without the consent of either of the two women or of their surviving families. So let's take a step back for a second. For anyone who may not remember this story, let's go back to 2007 really quick. <laughs> uh, it's for all you Wayne's World fans out right? there. Right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so for anyone without Google, Netflix, or whatever, um, a British student by the name of Meredith Kircher, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, we had a side note, Sharon and I had a grade school teacher called Kirchner was her last name, I think, right, Sharon? And I uh-huh. always want to say Kirchner, but it's not, it's Kircher. Um, Meredith Kircher was studying abroad in Italy when she was brutally murdered and raped by a man named Rudy Goudet. Goudet's DNA was left on and inside Meredith's body throughout the crime scene and as his fingerprints were also left, as well as his footprints, in Meredith's own blood at the crime scene. Um, after the crime, he immediately fled to Germany and then later admitted to being at the scene. Um, Amanda Knox, an American student who was also studying abroad in Italy, was one of Meredith's roommates who the Italian authorities wrongfully convicted of Meredith's murder going so far as to form a theory on the murder before even having forensic evidence proving otherwise, which I actually didn't even know that. Um, Very quietly, Rudy Gaudet, who was literally proven to be Meredith's killer, was quietly convicted in a fast-track trial, and that was that. Meanwhile, Amanda Knox was imprisoned and tried from 2007 to 2015. Uh, just sorry to interrupt, Minnie, but also you don't really know Rudy Goudet's name either. Like, that's not a name you remember Thank you. F- from that's this a- whole story. And he's the actual fucking murderer. Thank you. That's a thank you, Sharon. You are proving the point of this whole discussion very well. <laughs> I appreciate that, that commentary. Um, since Amanda's eventual release, uh, her life has not been her own, largely due to the countless Lifetime movies, novels, blog posts, etc., all of which center around this public idea of who and what Amanda Knox is, and for none of which Amanda herself has said she has ever been contacted by for insight or to offer clarity or even give her side of the story. Um, Amanda says that she's usually only contacted prior to a film or TV movie or whatever's, you know, being released at that time to help promote the project. Wow. Yeah. To which she usually uh, seems to respond with a very nice go fuck yourself, because how else would you respond? One example, uh, Spencer, you might be interested to know about this, as I know you've heard of this author, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, He actually discusses Knox in his book, Talking to Strangers. Uh, Regarding Gladwell's discussion of her case, Knox says, and this is from her editorial piece in the Atlantic. Uh, Gladwell 
reached out to me just before publication to ask if he could use excerpts from my audiobook in his audiobook. He didn't think to ask for an interview before forming his conclusions about me. I allowed him to use my voice because at least Gladwell was arguing for my innocence, but even he put the burden of my wrongful conviction on me based on my behavior rather than the authorities who held all the power in that dynamic. To his credit, Gladwell responded to my critiques over email and was gracious enough to join me on my podcast. So that makes me feel good about him. Okay. And I I just have to say, like, the way... How old was she when this happened? Like, teenager. And... Was yeah. she 18, 19, or was she actually like 20 or 21? Either way. She was 24 when she got out. Okay. Yeah. She was so young. And because like she was, from what I remember of the story, like, because I watched the documentary, um, you know, she was in love with this guy. She was in Europe. She was having like a romantic fling. And this person who, yes, it was her roommate, but like they... It, Like the circumstances surrounding it were just so horrible. And because she was being like affectionate with this new romance of hers um, or this, you know, this new guy of hers in Europe and stuff, they were like, oh, this like makes her guilty. Like since when does like PDA make you guilty of murder? Yeah, I didn't want to get too much into that because I didn't want to get too much in the weeds. But I agree that like especially that Netflix documentary, it's worth a watch because she unfortunately, I think, if I remember correctly, happened to be the first one to come home to find her roommate dead. Yeah. And I think she was with her boyfriend, her boyfriend right? and they were standing from what I saw they were just standing on the side as the police were doing their work and like the police Holding made it hands. sound like they were basically like going at it right there and yeah they were just kind of snuggling and holding hands and like looking clueless and scared and as you would expect you know but to the point of power dynamics sort of because really that's what I think this article's about and really the Amanda's story is about like she did not craft her narrative it was done for her um and so in that vein the point that struck me the most about this essay and why I kind of wanted to mention it and hopefully have people read it is because the essay discusses how power dynamics shape a story which again brings us back to the question of does anybody remember the name of the woman Amanda Knox supposedly killed or is Knox simply to blame for stealing the spotlight for selfish purposes I'll end with this excerpt from Knox's essay which I do again recommend that everybody read because it's super worth it this is regarding the film that is either about to be in theaters or is in theaters right now called Stillwater which stars uh, Matt Damon and uh, Abigail Breslin and is about from what I could tell from the previews a dad an American dad who goes to Europe where his daughter's been imprisoned and he's gonna fight to get his daughter free because she's innocent American style <laughs> that's my own interpretation I think he's in like a down-home Oklahoma guy <laughs> right, I'm serious well, there you go um, so this is from this is a quote this is from Amanda's um, essay Stillwater is both, quote, loosely based on and, quote, directly inspired by the Amanda Knox saga. I want to pause on that phrase, the Amanda Knox saga, 
because the manifold ways that my identity continues to be exploited start with this shorthand. What does the Amanda Knox saga refer to? Does it refer to anything I did? No. It refers to the events that resulted from the murder of Meredith Kirscher by Rudy Goudet. It refers to the shoddy police work, the flawed forensics, and the confirmation bias and tunnel vision of the Italian authorities whose refusal to admit their mistakes led them to wrongfully convict me twice. In those four years of wrongful imprisonment and eight years of trial, I had near zero agency. Knox goes on to say, the result of this is that 14 years later, my name is the name associated with this tragic series of events I had no control over. Meredith's name is often left out, as is Rudy Gaudet's. When he was released from prison in late 2020, the New York Post headline read, quote, man who killed Amanda Knox's roommate freed on community service, unquote. My name is the only name that shouldn't be in that headline, unquote. And to that, I say, Amanda, damn fucking straight. So horrible that it was just like literally one of those wrong place, wrong time things that just changed her life forever for the worse. And like, she'll never be able to live in anonymity and the the sad thing is is that there's people out there who still probably think she's a murderer oh for sure really just kind of heartbreaking and she's she's honestly i mean i don't know how she really feels but she seems um way more resilient than i think i would be in her situation so yeah i mean she does talk in the article a little bit about how like she uses a phrase that really stuck with me where she said that when she was freed she went from the the prison like a literal prison to the prison of her childhood bedroom with all the shades pulled down because of all the flash bulbs from the media outside trying to like get a picture of her horrifying just in general But yeah, it's a very articulately written, even if I can't say that word articulately. (laughs) Uh, You said it. You just did. It's a a great article. I thought it was really, really well written. And I I just really, that point really resonated with me of like, she's not looking for royalties. She's not looking, you know, for extra notoriety or anything. But she's just like, wait a minute. Why is my identity constantly being used? And I have no control over it, which... Let's be honest, like that's the story of many women, not just Amanda Knox, but her specifically is like a household name almost. And it's yeah, it's just it's just gross. So it's right, interesting. Well, read. Check it out. Sharon, hopefully you can uh, how, let, let's uh, bring the mood up a little bit here. <laughs> OK, <laughs> um, so this is not a horror movie per se, but it does have some horror elements. And um, it's also a very dark comedy that I stumbled across a couple weeks ago when uh, Spencer was out of town on a work trip. And I was looking for something um, a little more lighthearted besides horror and ended up watching this because it was an 80s comedy that I had never seen. But it was a lot darker than I thought it would be. Um, How many of you have seen or even heard of the 1985 Martin Scorsese film After Hours? Mindy, have you ever seen this movie? 
If I did, it was a long time ago. I've heard of it, but I don't have really any recollection. Okay, yeah. I remember seeing the cover of this movie like (laughs) hundreds of times at the video store growing up. It has a picture of like a stopwatch and it has Griffin Dunn's head at the top, (laughs) like kind of like um, screwed, like his neck is kind of like in a, you know, turned screwed position um if you probably have all seen this cover if you were you know kids who used to go to the video store uh back in the 80s 90s so yeah it's probably one of martin scorsese's least acknowledged and also probably one of his most underrated films because when you think of scorsese most people think of like taxi driver or goodfellas um but as i said i randomly watched it thinking it was an 80s comedy um which it is but it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. And I actually ended up buying it on Prime because it was only like $2 more to buy than to rent. And Spencer actually watched it like the very next day in um, Texas when he was like on his work trip. Um, but here's the plot from IMDb. A meek word processor in New York impulsively travels downtown to Soho for a date with an attractive but apparently disturbed young woman and finds himself trapped in a nightmarishly surreal vortex of improbable coincidences and farcical circumstances. And this was actually not the plot description that I read, by the way, when I decided (laughs) to watch it. I read one that was like much more simple, like basically like, Guy goes to Soho and has a date with like a disturbed woman, you know, and I thought it was going to be like crazy comedy threes company type things ensue. Uh, Yeah, that not so much. Um, But this is a much better description. So I went with this description. But check out the insane cast of this film. So Griffin Dunn plays the main character who meets the disturbed girl played by Rosanna Arquette. Both of which were in a Madonna movie, not the same movie, but both starred with Madonna. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> um, Terry Gar plays a cocktail waitress who looks like a 50s cocktail waitress, even though the movie takes place in the 80s. And she has an entire shelf in her apartment filled with cans <laughs> of Aquanet hairspray to keep her big beehive hairdo in place. Love John Hurd, who is the um, dad in Home Alone, he's in it um, and he plays a too trusting bartender, but also kind of like um, you find out he's got kind of like a psycho side to him or uh, okay spoilers um, spoilers i mean not really it's not really a spoiler um cheech and chong play a couple of bungling thieves Naturally. and Catherine o'hara who also was in home alone with john hurd she plays <laughs> yeah, right. what i can only describe is a bit of a, like an unhinged new york city party girl who ends up leading a vigilante mob through the streets of soho while driving an ice cream truck. So basically, Catherine O'Hara being awesome. Oh, my God. It's like the best cameo or I mean, she's she doesn't have a huge, huge role in it. It's it's more than a cameo, but it's like it's basically what I think of Moira from Shit <laughs> Creek. Yeah. Possibly doing before she meets Johnny Rose. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like that kind of unhinged. Um, and there's even a small part played by Bronson Pinchot, a.k.a. Balky from Perfect Strangers. Um, But this movie is totally batshit crazy, and it's, like, stuck with me since I've watched it a couple weeks ago, and I don't really want to say too much more about it. Okay. 
But if you want to see a forgotten gem or you're a big Scorsese fan and you've overlooked this one, I highly recommend it. It starts a bit slow, but once it gets moving, it like really doesn't let up. And the ending is just so weird and perfect. I love it. I love me some Catherine O'Hara, but I got a sweet spot for Terry Garr. I'm just going to say it. So I'm in. All right. Cool. Mindy. Yeah. what, What is up next? There's a new Shutter anthology series, Horror Noir, coming this October. Woohoo! Um, this this Shutter news was announced last month, actually, but we already released our July tidbits episode by then, so we're including this news here now. From Bloody Disgusting, quote, Shudder is expanding upon their critically acclaimed 2019 documentary, Horror Noir, a history of black horror with an original anthology series that will showcase stories of black horror from black directors and screenwriters. The upcoming series has a premiere date of October 14th, unquote, which is not soon enough, in my opinion. Uh, We talked about the 2019 documentary on a previous episode, the three of us highly, highly recommend it. It's a great look at the history of black horror, but it also combines it with black history in general and how what was going on in the actual world shaped how black people were portrayed on screen in horror movies and how it changed throughout time. It's fascinating. It's a must watch for any horror fan, really in all three of our opinions, I would say. <laughs> um, Horror Noir features new work from both established and emerging talents, showcasing stories of black horror from black directors and screenwriters. Shutter general manager Craig Ingler said, quote, When we saw the first cut of our Horror Noir documentary, we realized there was a huge untapped reservoir of great black horror stories that needed to be told and an extremely talented group of writers and directors ready to tell them. While the documentary was a look back at the history of Black Horror, this anthology is a showcase for the future and will introduce audiences to fantastic new stories and characters, unquote. I'm psyched. Count me in. Yeah. I'm really excited to watch this, and I'm glad it's going to be coming out during Halloween Of course. I love a good horror documentary just about as much as I love watching an actual horror movie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they are expanding their horizons and, you know, um, telling more stories from not white people. <laughs> so, And the quote, I have to say, like, the quote about, like, we realized that there's a huge untapped reservoir of great black horror stories. Uh, I think I just heard every single black person in the entire universe just go, yeah, no shit, motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm, yeah, I agree. I'm psyched to, uh, we, we need different stories. We need different tales. We need different narratives. So bring it. I'm really excited about this. And now Sharon's gonna totally gross me out with some Halloween I don't want to say candy, but it's gross Halloween news. Let's put it that way. Sharon, take it away. (laughs) Well, as summer comes to an end, autumnophiles such as myself are completely over the summer months uh, and already gearing up for Halloween. I mean, I'm like so, so over summer. I went for a walk today 
and almost passed out. Spencer had to go run ahead to a hot dog stand to get me a bottle of water because I literally felt like I was just going to like fall on the ground. And I'm literally (laughs) contemplating not even making my run to Walgreens after we're done recording because it's too hot. Yeah, go after the sunsets. Um, (laughs) Anyway, anyway. But yes, I have been gearing up for Halloween in the fall already, a.k.a. pumpkin season. Um, And autumnophile, not a real word, by the way. I was going to say. I I couldn't find any word for someone who loves the fall or autumn, so I I made it up. So I'm coining it. That's that's my word, people. Um, Future t-shirt. (laughs) I've already been scouring the stores for Halloween decorations, which I've been coming up kind of short. Come on, get on it, Home Goods. It's already, what, August, what day is it? August, it's already August 7th. I mean, come on. Um, And you know, I love pumpkin spice anything as much as the next white girl. I already have... (laughs) (laughs) I've already started burning my pumpkin candles. I have my pumpkin pecan waffle wallflower plug-in from bath and body works filling up my house with delicious smells that remind me of cooler temperatures and fall colors i even have pumpkin waffles in my freezer but the instant ramen noodle brand cup noodles may have taken things just a little bit too far apparently you can add pumpkin spice to just about anything And Cup Noodles wanted to hop on the pumpkin spice bandwagon and cash in on the sweet and spicy fall craze that coffee companies and beer makers have been profiting on for years. It has been announced that this October, you'll be able to get pumpkin spice ramen cup noodles. That is the perfect blend of sweet, savory, and spice at your nearest Walmart. And I'm serious. We will post a picture of it. I can just see the John Oliver segment now because that's one of my favorite <laughs> things in the fall where he's like, pumpkin spice, it's back, motherfuckers. And I can just see it like, couple of noodles, pumpkin spice. That's disgusting. <laughs> that is one of my favorite uh, running bits that John Oliver does as well. Um, but... <laughs> The picture is hilarious. It is, it is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Pumpkin spice flavor. It looks totally photoshopped and there's a bunch of pumpkins behind it. And of course, you know, <laughs> you look at the picture and you you start hearing uh, Bo Branham's white women's Instagram song in your head. <laughs> um, but yeah, it ugh, disgusting. Yeah. You, you, you cross the line cup noodles. Um, but <laughs> I will have to say while trying to search for a word like autumnophile, once again, <laughs> my word, people. Uh, can I put a patent on words? Uh, copyright or copyright? trademark, I think. Yeah. All right. Um, get on that, Spencer. It's your job. All right. Um, but I came Silence across Silence from Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying nothing. You know it's a brilliant idea, Spencer. Get on board. Get on the autumnophile board train. All right. But anyways, I came across an article titled five reasons why introverts love autumn. And I went, oh, I'm an introvert and I love autumn. So (laughs) I read it and quickly here are the five reasons why introverts love autumn. Number one, it gets less crowded outside. Not number two. You have a good excuse to stay at home. Number three, Autumn is a season of inspiration. 
Number four, autumn provokes reflection and teaches us important life lessons. And number five, Autumn is a perfect time for solitude and solo activities. Um, we, May I respond? Yes. <laughs> Number one, it gets less crowded outside. Probably not after the pandemic because everyone wants to go outside. Number two, you have a, a good excuse to stay home. I always stay at home because I am, <laughs> I think, a hermit now. Number three, autumn is a season of inspiration. Isn't it always a season of inspiration? No. Aut- autumn provokes reflection and teaches us important life lessons like we're all gonna fucking die someday (laughs) and autumn is a perfect time for solitude and solo activities and that's my everyday life somebody's a debbie downer that was a lot fun as i finished that i was like that was a lot funnier in my head i'm gonna shut up now but it was funny and you're not completely wrong but um you you are a hermit though really (laughs) i mean I honestly, I am now in the summer more. I think I'm in her. Well, I don't know. It just it, depends. Yeah. I, I am definitely more of a homebody now than I ever was. Um, but in the fall, I love being outside. I, I cannot yeah. deal with the heat. I really can't. I can't deal with the heat. I can't deal with the sun. I love going outside when it's cool out. I will go for walks in the rain. I will put my raincoat on and go for a long walk in the rain because there's no one out. It, it just feels so, um, I guess inspirational. <laughs> it and, is really and beautiful. And it also makes me reflect. And I think it teaches me important <laughs> life lessons. These these solo activities that I do outside in the autumn because as you, it's less as crowded. You carry your cup of pumpkin spice noodles <laughs> and eat them, staring at the changing colors of the leaves. I could see that. But if you want to read the entire article, we will have the link to the article in our show notes. Um, And it comes from learningmind.com, I should say. Uh, Shout out to you. I've never heard of you before, but I did see another article that they had on their webpage titled Four Signs of Evil People. They are more common than you think. Oh, shit. Uh, um, So I might be visiting the site a little more often. (laughs) I just can't stop staring at the picture of the pumpkin spice flavored noodles. I will um, print it out and frame it for you, Mindy. So you can, Thank you. Oh, it's a spice You can put it on your desk for inspiration at work. <laughs> well, right now, that's a corner of my apartment. And I've got a lot. Of, but I do have a nice little art world going. And I think I've got a spot for it. So, yeah, send it over. I do like that it says spice flavor with other natural flavors. I wonder what those might be. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mindy. All right. Well, quickly in closing, while this isn't an anime podcast, I'd argue the infamous anime series Evangelion is legendary animated horror and just plain fucking engrossing and, well, pretty seriously fucked up. Uh, For the small, small number of you who are familiar with Hideko Anno's series from the 1990s about humanity, which is under attack from mysterious... Some things that are referred to as angels and the 14-year-old orphan children who are the only ones capable of piloting the giant robots, which are called Evangelions, to defeat these angels to save humanity. And that's the Cliff Notes version, friends. It's a super complicated and amazing show. But for those of you who know what I'm talking about, this is for you. Um, 
the company Gynax, who originally produced the series and the following animated film, The End of Evangelion, which still gives me nightmares to this day, even though it was made in the 90s, eventually lost funding, which is why the final episodes of the series kind of fell apart. But then in the early 2000s, uh, Credo creator <laughs> creator Hideko Anno received funding and started what he referred to as rebuilds or full-length feature films that retell and <clears throat> rebuild the original story of Evangelion as adapted from the television series and this is a big deal in Japan and actually in America um so far, the rebuild movies have been coming out and have been spectacular. The final film, which we didn't even know was going to get made, it did finally, just came out this past year in Japan. Normally, we Ava geeks have to wait here in the States for the eventual Blu-ray release to even see the movie. But thanks to Amazon... The fourth and final film will be streaming free for Amazon Prime members starting August 13th. So like a few days after this episode airs. Friday the 13th. Hey, hey. Um, And I apologize for the majority of our audience that I totally just completely confused and left out of this conversation. But for those of you who are Ava fans, brace yourself for a third and most likely final impact when Thrice Upon a Time explodes onto Amazon Prime as of the time of this recording, this Friday the 13th, and I am psyched. All right. Well, I have never heard of this show. Um... I know Spencer had uh, expressed interest once in this show and... um, so, so, so you know Spencer, and so our listeners know, the original series is actually streaming on Netflix right now, as well as the original End of Evangelion movie from the 90s. Uh, the subtitles are slightly different, but they're fairly loyal to the story, uh, so I recommend them. If you are interested in checking it out, just be careful, because it's really, really fucking intense. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's engrossing as hell. All right. Well, thank you, Mindy. Um, all right. Well, speaking of Friday the 13th, um, I do have to give a shout out to the J-Man's Movie Cave YouTube channel, who is going to be having a long night at Camp Blood Friday the 13th award show, which Mindy and I actually are presenters for the best Friday the 13th movie in the franchise. So, uh, yeah, Go to my name is Jason 13. That's his Instagram handle. Uh, you can follow him and you can also um, get the the time, the link to where you can watch it. His YouTube channel. Once again, the J Man's Movie Cave. But yes, we will be presenting. So tune in to see which Friday the 13th movie is the best one in the franchise. And we Acor- were really- according to the people who voted. I I personally have a different favorite, but but that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. 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 (laughs) I just want to say, too, that we were really honored to be asked to present. And if you are a fan of the Friday the 13th movies, I really don't know that there's anyone who's a bigger expert than J-Man. Jason, but I like to call him J-Man because I like his (laughs) his channel name. So definitely check that out. For sure, if you're a big fan. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think so, too. We uh, might have a special guest that presented with us 
Maybe. Maybe That's not. All I'm Don't spoil nothing. I'm not. Zipping the lips. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening to us. Please write to us at whorestalkhorror at gmail.com. Uh, tell us your favorite pumpkin spice food. Gross. <laughs> if you eat the pumpkin spice ramen, please write to us and let us know how good it is or how bad it is. How much um, your emergency bill was. <laughs> Sorry. We're not going to get sponsored by cup noodles. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I I won't be sponsored by a company that makes non-vegan foods because I have standards. Um, But yeah, if I I mean, if there's any vegan ramen places that want to sponsor us, go ahead. Uh, Don't have pumpkin flavored ramen. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Spencer. We need to specify that part. Um, you can also write to us with any uh, ghost stories you have, any episode ideas, recommendations on what to watch, um, true crime stories, creepy stories, whatever you would like us to talk about on our show or whatever you want to tell us. Or if you just want to say hi. Aw, hi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um Sorry, I don't know. Sharon's the one who's had the coffee. I have not had any coffee. I think it's just sort of like coming into my brain through osmosis, all the energy. The caffeine is finally hitting me, and now I feel like I just need to go run around the block. But yes, continue, Mindy. (laughs) Uh, Whatever your platform of streaming choice I just made that sentence up and that's how I'm going to talk now. Uh, Please rate and review us on your streaming platform of choice. Uh, It really does help us get more exposure and maybe pushes us up a little higher in the charts. So folks know about us. We'd be very appreciative. Um, If you're able to, uh, please also join our Patreon so you can get early access to episodes, see exclusive posts, maybe even get some cool shit sent to you in the mail. And I mean cool stuff, not like cold poop. Uh, (laughs) Just to clarify. Uh, Please also... Maybe maybe we'll send you some pumpkin ramen. Gross. No, we won't. And if you do get it, it's from Sharon and I'm blaming her in advance. Um, most of all, though, please be kind to each other out there. Please, please stay safe. Um, I know everyone's saying this, but we all really need to get vaccinated and we need to be safe and good to each other. So please do that because that would make us very happy and all of us really very happy in the world. Um, and as always, thanks for getting creepy with us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, Oh, my God.